Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Just to bring everybody up to date, I wanted to let you know about the progress of the, the chapel sailboat. Now, I'm joking. We don't really own a sailboat, but we've been using a sailboat as an analogy to describe what it's like to move with God as God is on the move. We do sincerely believe that God is working in our world, that he's changing people's lives, that he's truly transforming us. The church is growing and we're here in this community to make a difference for his honor and glory. And and we can't take any credit for it. It's all because God's on the move. He's doing something. But if we're gonna move with God, then somehow we need to, in a sense, raise our sails and catch the wind of his Holy Spirit as it's moving through the world, changing people's lives. How do we do that? We've said that there's several things that as a church family and as individuals, we need to be willing to do in order to really catch the, the wind of the Spirit and move with God as he's on the move. One of them involves really making sure that we've put our faith in Jesus, that we come and believe and put our hope in him, that we're relying on him for our forgiveness and acceptance with God, that we really are the children of God. And so that's something that we really need, that's like square one, where we really need to have to stop and check. Are we really in relationship, proper relationship with Almighty God, our creator? God has given us his word the Bible, and our responsibility is to know it and learn it and read it and think about what it says. And so if we're going to move with God, we ought to understand his word. And so that's involved in the idea of thinking, of of pausing and reflecting on what God has to say in his word. We also spent time last week talking about the fact that we can't really follow God by ourselves. Oh, you can do that solo, but that's very rare that someone really moves forward spiritually all by themselves. Rather, we're called to be part of a community, a family, the family of God. We're to work together. And that's why it's important to gather for worship and to gather to grow. And so we talk about linking up with one another and gathering and growing together. We encourage you to not only be here for worship, but consider joining a growth group or some other small group that will help you pray and serve and learn the scriptures together and where we can encourage and build up each other. We wanna take it a step further today and challenge us not just to look at ourselves personally in our relationship with God, and not just to be focused on the church family, like what can we do to make our lives more enjoyable and comfortable and more spiritual, but instead to lift our eyes up and look out and understand that there's a world around us that Jesus Christ loves very much. There are people outside of our church family that that Jesus cares about so very deeply that he was willing to die on the cross for them, that he was willing to conquer death and defeat the devil and and overcome our own sin and our shame and guilt. And he did that through his resurrection and, and he's coming back someday and we have a privilege of serving him and introducing him to a world of people that don't know him yet. And that's our great privilege and we've used the word bless to describe what that means. Not that God would give me a blessing, but rather that, that I would be a blessing that, that I would be used by God to bless others and really encourage them. And so we talk about going to people where they're at and sharing with them what God has given to us. And yes, that certainly means maybe it's sharing financially to help lift the financial burden that other people have because of the, 
Uh, maybe the difficulty or afflictions that they've gone through, the, the physical illness or, or hardships that they're experiencing, contributing to them, helping them in their time of need. Maybe it means actually going and serving, lifting the burdens that they have. That's why next Saturday is so important, going to help the up churches. I just, I want to remind you of this, this family. And this is Don and Darlene Upchurch, and they have been pillars of our church family, key people leading our church, praying for you, greeting you, welcoming you, teaching you, serving you, blessing you. They have been doing that. And this last year, they've, they've had physical health nightmares. I mean, it's been hard. Darlene is battling cancer. And it's been very difficult, but she's getting through it. And Don had a life-altering stroke. I mean, he was the guy that was always dressed so handsome out in the lobby, always ready with a, a quick joke or a funny story or something like that and saying hello to you, making you feel welcome when you came here to church. He can't even lift his right arm. He can, he can barely walk. But he laughs and, and, and he still has funny things to say. Uh, praise the Lord. They need our help in moving to their new home, a, f a home that's all on one level. Uh, they don't have stairs to climb like they do now. And so God has provided this home. God is working it out. So next Saturday, join me, join Jim Green, join others that will be coming to help move them from their home uh, in, in uh, where they're living. They're traveling about 18 minutes or so away over to Fairfield and uh, getting a home that's right across the street from their son, Chris. You may remember Chris from when he was here in church as well. So, you know, help with that. That's, that's serving. And so we're talking about blessing, and you can be a blessing next Saturday when you, when you help Don and Darlene move. But there's something else about this blessing because it's not just lifting the burden or giving some money. I mean, those are hard things to do, and they're important to do. But even beyond that, people need to hear a good message. They need to hear the announcement, the announcement that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that he's living again. He rose from the dead and he's coming back as king of kings and they can surrender to him and find their forgiveness and acceptance with God. The thing that's unique about Christianity, about the gospel of Jesus, it's not a suggestion. We're not giving advice. We're announcing news. We're announcing good news that Christ has done this to rescue us. And it's our great privilege as the followers of Jesus to tell as many people as possible how Jesus came and gave his life for them to rescue them. We're making an introduction. Have you ever been to a dinner party or maybe here at church and you're standing there and you, you see people, I wonder who they are. Who's that guy? Why is he dressed like that? What, you know, where do you get that haircut? You know, you're kind of looking and you're just seeing people and then somebody comes up and they know you and they know the other person and they make an introduction and all of a sudden the awkwardness just goes away. You're saying, oh, okay, I, I've learned you and hopefully you try to learn their name and remember it but somebody makes the introduction. That's what sharing the gospel is. It's making an introduction. It's helping people meet Jesus who loves them who gave himself for them. How can we keep that to ourselves? How can we be spiritual hoarders? We can't. We need to share that with others because it's our greatest privilege to be able to do that. So this morning, as we think about this idea of going out and sharing and being a blessing to others, whether it's in our service or, or actually telling people about Jesus, announcing to them the good news that Christ gave his life to save them, we need to look at a passage of scripture that really challenges us about that. 
And the thing is, it's, it's very surprising what Jesus says in this passage to his followers because they're expecting, they're asking a question that it implies they're expecting one answer from Jesus, but he turns it on their head, its head, and he answers totally differently. And so what I'd like to invite you to do is, is just, let's see the surprising thing that Jesus says, these, these last words of Jesus. Let's turn to the, the book of Acts, Acts the Apostles. This is on page 909. 909, uh, if you'd like to use the, the hardback Bible, the black covered hardback Bible from the chair in front of you. And I'd like you to read along with me this passage. Now just to set it up while you're, while you're turning there or finding it on your cell phone or your tablet, whatever it is that you're using to read the scripture, I encourage you, please read it yourself. But this is actually part two of a two-part work that Luke wrote about the life of Jesus and its impact upon our world. The first part is the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. It's 24 chapters long. It's a biography of Jesus, and it talks about things that Jesus, you know, how he came into the world and then things that Jesus did, the miracles that he performed, the teachings that he gave, how he impacted and touched the lives of people. And then it, it, it kind of goes to a climax where Jesus dies on the cross unjustly, innocently, but because he's carrying the burden of our sins. And he dies there on that cross and he's laid in the tomb, but three days later he comes back to life and he rises from the dead. And Luke even includes in chapter 24, there's just examples of Jesus meeting people after his resurrection. It wasn't just a one-time appearance and he was gone. He stayed on earth for about 40 more days and met up with the, his followers on many different occasions and in many different situations and different locations as well. And as he's doing that, he's teaching them and preparing them for the ministry that he's going to deploy them out to do. And we come to Acts chapter one. This is the beginning of part two and there's a little bit of overlap with the first part, Luke 24. And as he's introducing this, Luke, a medical doctor who was an amateur historian, who carefully researched these things, is writing to a person by the name of Theophilus, excuse me, Theophilus. And Theophilus is a name, whether it's a real person or it's a made-up name, I'm not sure, but it just simply means lover of God, which is kind of a cool audience name, okay? Are you a lover of God? That's kind of like what Luke's asking. If you are, then you need to hear about Jesus and see what he's done. But in verse one, I want you to listen carefully to what he says here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want you to pay a special attention to verse six and following. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it. In this passage, the reason why I think it's so important for us to look at today is because I, I think if we're honest, we see, and we're, we're, we see what Jesus has done for us, many of us who have trusted in him. We've experienced his forgiveness. We've experienced his acceptance. We've, we've seen Jesus change our lives, and we're deeply grateful for that. And we also know that Jesus loves and cares about other people. We care about him too. And we want them to meet Jesus. We want to make that introduction and we want to help them put their trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. But there's something that gets in the way. It's called fear. And we all struggle with that. Pastors struggle with that. Missionaries struggle with that. Evangelists struggle with that. In fact, I think every person that I've ever known who's a follower of Jesus, at one time or another has struggled with fear. And I know you can picture somebody in your eye, mind's eye and you can think of them, well, man, they, they were never afraid. They were always bold to speak up. They were always unafraid to, to let other people know about Jesus. They didn't care what anybody thought. And I know of people like that, but I also know that deep down inside there were times that they probably wrestled with fear as well. We all have it. So Jesus is asking us in this passage to share our faith with others, to make the introduction and induce, introduce people to Jesus. He's, he's asking us to do that. But we struggle with fear. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to share our faith? Where, where do we get the boldness to be the kind of believers who, who, who show up and who stand up and who speak up when it comes to telling others about Christ? How are we going to do that? Or is our fear just going to continually muzzle us and keep us from speaking out and let others know about Christ? I mean, the cost is high because if we don't speak up, there are people that will never, ever hear. I know God's in control. I know God is sovereign. And I believe that with all my heart. And I know God will make a way even when there seems to be no way. But the fact of the matter is the way that Jesus has given for people to know are his people. They have been called, we have been called to share our faith with others and we can't let fear stand in the way. So, so what does this mean? Do we just need to kind of, you know, screw up a little courage inside of ourselves and, you know, exercise a little willpower and, you know, give ourselves a pep talk? How do we move forward? Thankfully, Jesus not only calls us to represent him, he not only commissions us to represent him, he not only commands us to do it, but he also gives us the power to do it, the strength to do it. And it's a power and a strength that comes from living in partnership with him. And it's important for us to see Jesus as he's represented in this passage because the disciples are looking for a kingdom. That means they understand Jesus is the king. And so if you partner with King Jesus, you never have to be afraid. 
you will always find courage if you partner with King Jesus. And so that's what I'm asking you to do today. Let's partner with King Jesus. Let's line up with him and work with him and let him work through us. And he will give the courage. He will make us bold believers that are able to speak up even when we're afraid. Not that the fear goes away, but that he gives us the courage we need to handle the fear that we encounter that keeps us from sharing our faith. So in this passage, let's, let's just look for a couple things. Yeah. Maybe we could call these four factors for a fearless faith. It took me all week to figure that out. Okay, all right. I just want to say I worked real hard. Four factors for a fearless faith. How about that? All right. So what are these factors that give us a fearless faith? Well, here's one. I want you to notice, and we're focusing today on verses 6 through 11, I I want you to notice that at the beginning, what Jesus does is challenge the disciples, these faithful men who have stuck with him through thick and thin, and yes, they did fail, they they denied Jesus, they ran away from Jesus, they deserted him, but but Jesus has reconciled with them and brought them back into fellowship, and and here they are, they're, they're kind of insecure, but Jesus loves them very much, and he challenges them to have his priority. That's the first thing that we desperately need if we're going to have boldness to share our faith. You've got to embrace Jesus' priorities. And this is important for us to get today because I think a lot of us believers, I'm going to say me included, I'm often distracted with the wrong kind of priorities. Look what happens in verse 6. So here it is, this last time that Jesus is with the disciples, and it says that when they came together, they, the disciples, asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You might be thinking, well, what do they mean about this kingdom business? I mean, well, I think it's very logical for the disciples to ask Jesus about this because they saw that Jesus was claiming to be the king. And if if he's the king, then he has a kingdom. And they were fully aware that all throughout the writings of the Old Testament, their, their sacred scriptures, that they as Jewish people... Uh, they were well aware of that God was going to send a king, the Messiah, and establish a kingdom. And this kingdom would upend all the corruption and all the oppression and all the injustice of this world. And everything that's broken and fractured will be made whole again. And everything that's been put down and trampled upon will be lifted up and exalted, and including the people of Israel because they were oppressed by the Romans. They had been been overcome and overwhelmed by many different foreign powers, and they were living in their homeland, but they were subjects of the emperor Caesar. They paid taxes to him, and they were oppressed by him. They weren't free people. And the message of the the prophets of the Old Testament was that, that the kingdom would come, and the people of God would be set free, and they would be lifted up. In fact, they would no longer be trampled underfoot by other nations, but they would be exalted above other nations. They would be lifted up. And so the disciples are saying, well, Jesus, you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You're the king. You're King Jesus. Are you going to set up your kingdom right now? And they're thinking that all of a sudden Jesus is going to step into politics and military power 
And he's going to go march in Jerusalem and kick out Pontius Pilate and the Roman governors and all the soldiers. He's going to defeat them. And then he's going to go and, and kick out all the religious leaders and their corruption and their misguided understanding of God's plan and will for their lives, their distortion of his truth that had led the people of Israel astray so that they really didn't know God and understand his will for their lives. They're expecting that Jesus, this, this mighty king, is going to finally come and set everything wrong right. He's going to fix everything that's broken. And the people are finally going to be free to love and worship God and prosper in their own land. And they're asking, Jesus, are you going to do that at this time? Now look at Jesus' answer in verse 7. Now, he's not saying that what they're asking for is wrong. He just simply says, it's not time. It's not time for that. Look at verse 7. He said to them, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. No, it's, it's not time for the kingdom. It's not time for me to exercise my authority as the king and defeat the oppressor and correct the corruptors. I'm, it's not time for me to do that. And it's not time for the establishment of a political kingdom here on earth. I think this is something that you and I need to be very cautious about. I thank God that we live in the United States of America and I thank God for the privilege of voting and speaking out and you know, writing to my congressmen, talking to my leaders, praying for them. I'm grateful that I have that great privilege. But we need to understand that our priority is not the establishment of a political kingdom. It's not. And I think we saw a real good example this week of why human politics really doesn't work well, no matter what the type of government it is. I mean, the two parties, as they squabble with each other and fight and bicker among themselves, and, and really all we're just asking for is somebody to be on the court with integrity and honesty and, and us to, to have that. That's, that's really all this is about. And yet it becomes politicized and they fight among themselves. Well, you know what? I'm just like those guys and gals in the Senate. I'm, I'm just like the president. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm selfish by nature. I'm, I'm foolish and reckless. And what Jesus is saying here is if you put your hope in human government, you put your hope in a human kingdom, you will be sorely disappointed because it will let you down. It always will. No, I'm setting up a different kind of kingdom. In fact, my priority is very different because look at what he says in verse 8. But instead of this political power and a political kingdom, notice what he says in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. And the thing that's very interesting here is that he's talking about, he's using the words like he had used earlier in the first part of his biography of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter one, it says when the Virgin Mary saw the angel and the angel was announcing that she was going to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior from our sins, she says, how can this be? I'm just a, a virgin, I'm just a, a girl. How can this be? And, and God speaks through the angel and says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of God is going to come upon you and enable you to conceive this child without a man and you're gonna give birth to the Savior. You're gonna do that. He's using the same terminology here, Jesus is, and he's saying, God's Spirit is gonna come upon you. Not that you're gonna have lots of little babies, 
Maybe so, in the sense of people coming to faith in Christ and they're born again. God's power is going to come upon you. His spirit is going to come upon you and he's going to overwhelm you. And all of a sudden, you're going to have the power of God at your disposal. And so you're going to be able to truly make a good difference, a godly difference in this world because God's power and his wisdom and his grace and his might, God's own personal presence is going to come upon you. Now we've been focusing the last couple of weeks when we think about hoisting our sail and catching the wind of the Spirit and getting on the move with God who's on the move. We've talked about the Holy Spirit because he's the, the mover and the shaker in this world, okay? God's mover and shaker, the Holy Spirit. And it's important to understand that this Holy Spirit is not just a force. He's not just a, uh, an idea or an attitude. He's, he's not an emotion. You know, they have a good spirit. It's, it's not that. He is a person. He is equal with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, equal, three in one, with them. One God, three entities, three persons. And God's own personal presence, that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's the personal presence of God that came upon Jesus when he began his ministry and he was baptized by John the Baptist. And as Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven like a dove and lands on Jesus. And it's not just that this bird was looking a place to rest, maybe build a nest, it's not that. It's, a pre, it's the representation, the symbolic representation of God's own powerful presence coming upon Jesus in a unique and special way. Well, I thought he already had the Holy Spirit. I get that. But there was an endowment, an empowerment of God's powerful presence upon Jesus in a way that hadn't been there before. You see, Jesus did everything that he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a you know, battery pack of miracle power in his back pocket. Well, I'll whip that out and multiply this bread and walk on this water and heal that blind guy. You know, I've got my spiritual power pack. It was a dependence upon the Holy Spirit to do the work that God the Father had called him to do. All this imagery is what's involved here when Jesus is telling his disciples right before he leaves, God's power is going to come upon you when my spirit overwhelms you. And we read that that happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And the believers were emboldened. They got courage to speak up and share their faith in a way that they had never had before. The guys that denied him boasted of him. The guys that had run away from him threw themselves into the work of declaring the goodness and graciousness of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus. They boldly declared and God miraculously helped them declare it. And Jesus is saying that you can have this kind of power too and you don't have to be afraid. So far, what we've seen is just if we're going to become bold believers, we need to partner with King Jesus. He gives us all the courage we need and he does that by helping us line up with his priority. But then also he gives us his power, the Holy Spirit coming. When the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he does. It says, and you will be my witnesses. That's the transformation. That's that, that realization of the priority of Jesus. It's not a political action committee that he's forming. It's an invigorated, Holy Spirit-empowered family, a church that makes Christ known.
and we become his witnesses. And really that word my, that little pronoun, possessive pronoun there, is, is emphatic. You're my witnesses. We're so quick to say God bless the USA and that's good. I hope he does. I pray that he does. We're so quick to boast about our football team or our favorite race car driver or you know your wife's cooking or your husband's job or your kid's grades accomplishments. We boast about all those things and Jesus says, I've commissioned you, I've prioritized. My agenda is that you be my witnesses, that you speak up about me. That I would be the first things on your lips when you're around others and talking with them. You can do this with my power. You can do this if you follow my agenda, my priorities. So you will be witnesses to me And notice that the witnessing, the testifying, and by the way, this idea of being a witness, it's a legal term. It talks about you you speak about what you've experienced, what you know to be true. This is what I witnessed, and I'm telling you about it. So I'll tell you about how Jesus has changed my life, and I'll tell you what I know from Scripture, and I want to let you know that I am a a firm believer, I'm a committed follower of Jesus and I just want you to know how Jesus has changed my life. I'm a satisfied customer. That's what this is all about, that I wanna tell other people about Jesus in that way. But then notice that the, the king, King Jesus, not only gives us his power and he not only has priorities that we need to follow, but he does have a plan, a strategy of how he wants us to share our faith with others. And you'll notice there in verse eight, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then there's a couple geographical locations. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Later on today, you can pull out a map maybe online or in the back of your Bible or something like that. Maybe there's a Bible map. And you can look very carefully. You look at Palestine and you can look at and you can find Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And you can, you can see it there. And, and that's where Jesus is talking to the disciples because they're out on a hillside just outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And he's standing and that's where he's going to ascend from heaven from. And so there they are right there in the neighborhood of Jerusalem, right there on the outskirts of town. And so he says you start in Jerusalem. And then, and then as you look on your, your map, you'll, you'll maybe see an area that's called Judea. And that's like the county around Jerusalem, the, the big township around Jerusalem if you live in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But you know, the, the, the territory immediately around Jerusalem. And, and, and just north of Jerusalem and Judea is another little territory, a smaller county, if you will, a territory called Samaria. And the thing that's interesting about Samaria is that people by the names of Samaritans live there. And the Samaritans and the people that lived in Judea, the Jewish people, didn't get along with each other. They were actually related to each other genetically by racial heritage, but there were big differences. The Jews had stayed racially pure and the Samaritans, because of uh, conquest by foreign invading powers, they had intermarried with other nations and other races. And so there was a a racial mixture among the Samaritans and the Jews hated the Samaritans and the the Samaritans hated the Jews. They called each other names, they insulted each other, they they preached against each other, they even fought against each other. They didn't get along at all. 
Uh, sometimes the Samaritans would run down and vandalize the temple in Jerusalem, sneak in and do that. And other times the Jewish patriots would run north and they would vandalize the temple in Samaria. And they would just do that to each other. They just constantly fought among themselves. They hated each other. But they were neighbors. Have you ever had a neighbor like that in your neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, I hope you haven't been like one. But then Jesus says, not only Judea and Samaria, but you need to think about the ends of the earth, the people that live far away from your home. Think about those people culturally who are far away, linguistically, ethnically, far away from you. Maybe geographically live far away from you. Think about them as well. You see, the plan of Jesus is that we receive God's Holy Spirit we receive his spirit and we become his witnesses and we start sharing our faith right where we live, our, our Jerusalem, our home. Start there. And so we think about how, how do we share our faith with family and friends? How do we share our faith with the people who live in our neighborhood? The, the people beside us at work or, or have lockers next to us at school? Uh, the folks we bump into at the grocery store every week when we're there shopping. The people that we've learned to, to deal with. The folks at the coffee shop where we get our coffee when we're going to work or whatever. Those folks that we see all the time who are right there where we live. Jesus says, you're my witnesses there. Share the gospel with those folks. Help them meet me. Make the introduction of me to them. Don't hold back from that. Maybe it's even your own relatives and family members. But then he says you need to be a witness of me in Judea. Now, as we said just a moment ago, Judea is the people who live near you who like you. The people who are like you. The folks who are like you, that you like. Share your faith with them. But then Jesus always asks us to, you know, do something that's a little harder. He says that you need to reach out to the people who are the Samaritans. Those are the people who don't like you. Those are the people who are not like you. Maybe they live in your neighborhood. Maybe they've moved into your town and they're from a different background racially or they speak a different language or they worship a different God, have another religion than you, a different religion than you. And instead of saying, well, you know, they're, they're of a different color. I don't have to care about them or they have a different ethnic background. I don't understand their language. I don't, I don't have to care about them. I need to focus on my family, us four and no more. That's all we got to do, okay? And Jesus is saying, you can't be content with that because I love those people as well. I care about them deeply. I died for them. I died to rescue them. I rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, and the devil for them as well. And I love them just as I love you. And I want them to have what you have. And somehow, by my power, you can overcome the anger and hostility that you have been taught and that you feel within your soul as you're afraid of them. You can overcome that by my power and share the gospel with them. You see, this strategy will give us courage. We have a plan to follow, but we also need that power of the Spirit to help us do it. I want you to think about this for a minute. He says that we can't just, we can't just be content to reach out to the people who are like us and the people who are unlike us that we don't like. We, we need to reach out to them too. And then he says you need to think about the end of the earth, the, the, the people who are far away from you. That's our responsibility. We have to care about them as well. 
And, and that's not just for certain people to care about, but he's telling the disciples who represent all the Christians, all of us here, it's our privilege and responsibility to care for people who are far away from God, geographically, ethnically, socially, culturally, linguistically, far away from us to share the gospel with them. In the Jewish mindset, this is you know, thinking about people who are at the edge of the world and they're thinking, you know, and they're thinking far away to the north. They were conscious that there were, there were places to the north in the Arctic where people lived. They, they were aware of that. And they knew that far south, you know, like Sudan and Africa, they were aware people lived there. And they were even conscious of the idea of places like India and Spain. And in their mindset, those were like the outer reaches of the world, the edges of the world in their thinking. Of course, we understand that there's several other continents they've missed and they're, they're even further away, people isolated and far from God. Can I ask you just to listen to me carefully for a minute and think about the nature of the human race? There's, there's seven and a half billion of us living on planet Earth right now. And if you divided everybody up according to their religious background as it relates to Jesus Christ, about a third of the people who live on planet Earth call themselves Christians. Now, that's divided up into two big groups. About 10% of the total population of Earth says I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm a person that really believes in Jesus and I trust him for my forgiveness and acceptance with God. I believe the Bible and I wanna try to follow him. Many different denominations and backgrounds, but that's the basic description. I really love Jesus and I wanna follow him. There's another group of that one third of the world's population who call themselves Christians and they would say I'm just, a nominal Christian. I'm just a, a Christian in name only. You know, I live in a country that's Christian. Maybe it's Roman Catholic or Protestant, you know, like in, in uh, Western Europe or, or, or even here in the United States. I, I live in a country that is called a Christian nation. And my, my parents went to church and I was baptized as an infant. And so I, I would consider myself a Christian even though I don't have a personal faith in Jesus. I'm not following him. So about a third of the world's population says they're Christian. Some are genuinely saved and the majority of those people are not genuinely saved. But then you have a group of people, almost, it's actually larger than another third, that know about Jesus and have heard about Jesus, but they've rejected him. And this might be the countries that are communistic or, or very Muslim or you know, very Hindu in nature. They've, they've heard the message, they're aware of the message, but they've rejected Jesus and they don't want anything to do with him. And then there's another third, and this is the one that really bothers me. These are the third. These two billion plus people have never even heard about Jesus. They've never heard about him at all. There's no church in their country. There's nobody broadcasting a message over the radio. No one's taking the Jesus film to them to show the life of Christ and how to trust in Jesus. There's no one distributing Bibles and literature in their languages. There's nothing going on. They're unreached people groups. In fact, there's some unreached people groups that are so unreached, they're unengaged unreached people groups. There's nobody reaching out to them. We're talking about two billion plus people alive today. And that's shocking to you and me because we hear about Jesus all the time. We can worship wherever we want, whenever we want, pray however we want. But there are people that have never even had the privilege. And I know God will get the gospel to them somehow. 
but I know that the hands of God are right here at the ends of my arms and the feet of God are right here at the end of my legs. And so God uses his people to take the gospel to them. This sounds cheesy. That's okay. I stand before you as a recruiting officer. I'm a recruiting officer for Jesus Christ Royal Combat Legion. And I'm asking you to consider going to tell the gospel to those people, to learn their language, to immerse yourself in their culture, to share Christ with them. Some of us need to leave our jobs and go do that. Some of us need to take the years of our retirement and instead of just playing golf and fishing and hunting or sewing, maybe what we really need to do is just say, you know what, I'm gonna move and try to reach people. Some of us need to help our kids get a vision of being a missionary like that. I, I heard recently about a, a father and mother who were at a large church down in the D.C. area recently, and they went up to the pastor after church, and they said, Pastor, we need your help. Our daughter has decided to become a foreign missionary. She's thinking about leaving and becoming a foreign missionary. And the pastor said, that's wonderful. And the mother and father said, no, 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 you don't understand. We, we want your help to try to talk her out of it. We're afraid she's going to ruin her life. I hope you'll never be a parent that says that, that you're gonna ruin your life if you give your life to Jesus and represent him in the world, even in another culture, even if it means we only see you every other year or so. The needs are so great. How can we hold back? Jesus says, my Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses in all these places. And yes, we should start at home, but never forget your neighbors and the neighbors you don't like, but keep your eye on the, on the horizon and understand that there are people who have never heard. And this is something that really excites me. I didn't know this until just this week. Of the 7,000 or so unreached people groups in the world, and by unreached people group, I'm talking about a group of people that are over 10 million in size, and they have less than 2% evangelical Christians living among them. And that would be, that's too small of a group to try to reach the whole group with the gospel. And so there's no church, there's no real Bible study movement, there's no organized evangelism methodology or program or group that's taking the gospel to them. Of those 7,000 or so unreached people groups, 450 of them live in the United States. 450 of them have become immigrants and have come to our country. And they're big cities around our nation where these thousands and thousands of people from these other countries who have come as immigrants and we can't go to their country to share the gospel with them. We're kicked out places like India, Saudi Arabia, China. If you say, hey, I'm coming to be a missionary, up, oh, no way, buddy. See you later, get back on that plane and fly home. They won't let you in. But those students from, come from China to study in the United States and they can hear the gospel. And those students from Saudi Arabia that heavily Muslim country, the, 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 the capital of Islam, so to speak, they come to our country to study. 
and they come from South America and they come from Africa and they come from Southeast Asia and beyond. They come to our country and they come to study. They come to, 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 they've immigrated here and they're here to learn and they're here to grow and we have this great privilege of sharing the gospel with them. We can help reach the four, some of those 450 people groups and we don't even have to leave our own country and we can learn about them. Can I just say this? I understand I'm on thin ice. But you know, when it comes to this topic of immigration, I believe we need secure borders. I really do. We need to protect our families. We do. But if we slam the door shut so strong, build a wall so high and so strong that we keep people from these other countries out, we're losing precious opportunities to share the gospel. That's not a Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative homeland security issue. That's an issue for the gospel. That's a strategic issue. If we're members of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and members of his family, we should be pro-immigration and we should be people, we should be people that are welcoming the stranger who comes into our country. Now we ask our leaders to make sure that our borders are secure and the wrong people are not coming in. We gotta stand up for that and ask them to do that. But welcome the stranger. Welcome the foreigner. Invite them in so you can share Christ with them. This is about what Jesus is saying in his strategy. You can live according to his strategy or you can reject it. You'll have to answer to him. But this is the strategy that he's given us to go and tell. And maybe the going and telling involves them coming here and we reach out to them and welcome them. Do it for Jesus' sake. So he's given us this priority of, of being a witness and not being involved in a political kingdom. And he gives us his power, the presence of his Holy Spirit. And he gives us this plan of reaching others and, and not being in t- content until the whole world knows. But then he gives us this powerful promise, this precious promise. And we see this in verses 8, 9, and uh, rather 9, 10, and 11. Look, he could end at verse 8. I think that would be super cool. Wow, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit so we can go out and win the world for him. That's wonderful. But he's not content to leave it at that because in verse 9, look what happens. It says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, and the word there for looking on, it's literally as they had this fixed gaze upon him and he's talking about he's using terminology to describe visual perception the physical organ of eyesight and this physical sense of eyesight he's not talking about a vision he's not talking about imagining it in your mind's eye he's saying it's with your literal physical eyes they were gazing at him and as they were gazing at him and listening to him with these this command and this promise go into all the world be my witnesses and I'm promising the spirit to help you and empower you and as they were gazing on him and looking upon him he was lifted up and a crowd a cloud took him out of their sight and he's saying oh that's even that's another miracle some people have said well this can't be historical because people can't walk on clouds well they can't walk on water either and they can't rise from the dead either right but the point is if there's a god that does the miraculous then of course these things happen So as Jesus is talking to them and giving these last words of command and promise to them, he's lifted up from them, he's carried up from the earth into the heavens and a cloud of the glory of God envelops him. It's the Shekinah glory, the glory of God that came over top the temple of of Solomon and, and the tabernacle of Moses. They represent the presence of God, the glorious presence of God. That cloud of glory surrounds Jesus and just escorts him, carries him off 
into the throne room of God. And the thing that's so beautiful here is that when we talk about Jesus ascending and going into glory, it's not just that you know he's gone into retirement or, or taking a vacation. You know, he gets to heaven and says, okay, can you get my clubs? I think I feel like playing 18 holes. It was kind of busy down there, a little taxing, but I like a little R&R. No, what we see in scripture is that when Jesus ascends into glory and enters into the throne room of God, he marches right over the resurrected son of God and he sits down beside the father's right hand and he becomes the chief executive of the universe. All power is given to me, Jesus said. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. All of it was given to him. And he takes his rightful throne as the king, King Jesus, and he begins to orchestrate and govern the entire universe. And it gets even better. Because in verse 10, it says that while they were gazing, their eyes fixed into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And that's kind of like code language saying they were angels because that's what happens at the end of Luke's gospel, Luke 20, 24, at the resurrection of Jesus. And they say, these two men in white, these two angels, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Why are you standing here wondering if he's coming back? Why are, you, why are you just gazing longingly at him? Why are you doing that? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. And so listen, don't be discouraged that he left you. He sent his spirit to empower you. And don't be afraid because he's going to return. King Jesus is coming back. And if he's coming back, then serve him today. Occupy yourself with his priorities. Make it your business to be his witnesses. Take his power. Don't do it in your own strength. You can't do it. But the Spirit of God will come upon you and empower you with wisdom and boldness and courage and strength and grace to share your faith. But show up. Stand up, speak up for him. The Spirit will help you do that. Take this strategy, follow this plan, and understand that it's not just something you keep for yourself. It's something that you share with others and make the introductions and help as many people as possible at your home, in your neighborhood, cross-culturally, even at the ends of the earth. Make the introduction as often as you can to help people meet Jesus because he's the king and he's coming back. I think in some ways, the, the, the angel says, you know, Jesus is coming back, and that's to encourage us that, you know, one day everything that's broken and wrong, and no matter how we're persecuted and how hard it is, Jesus is coming back, and he's gonna set everything that's wrong right. But it also reminds me that Jesus is coming to hold me accountable. He's holding me answerable. Have I served him this way? Have I utilized this power? Have I followed this plan? Have I embraced his agenda and made it mine? Do the people around me know about Jesus because I've made the introductions to them? And so we have this tremendous promise of his return. And it encourages us to speak up and utilize the power of the Spirit to make Christ known. Because there's so many people that don't know him and need to know him. I want you to think about this. Now, what do we do with all this? 
if, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, you need to trust in him because if you do, then the spirit of God will come and fill your life and empower you and you get to be part of this, this great plan that, that God has to win the world and bring everyone into his family. We can be part of that, being that witness to all folks. But then, if you haven't trusted in Christ, you need to do that today. If you have trusted in Christ, then God's Spirit is there in your life. You need to surrender to Him. Let Him fill you up. Ask Him, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Give me the boldness. Give me the courage to speak up and represent you. And He will. He'll help you do that. Don't let the fear keep you from moving forward and sharing your faith with others. But then also, just, just understand Understand that the needs are so great and God's spirit is so powerful that this is something that can be done. Don't be fearful that it will never be accomplished because God will make his promises come true. He is faithful. You can count on him to do it. And he'll do it through you. He'll do it with you or without you. But wouldn't it be better to let him use you and surrender to him in that way? So to tie this all together, I, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to get out your pen and get out a little piece of paper. Maybe it's your bulletin, maybe it's something else. Get, your, get out a pen, get out a piece of paper. Everybody do, get one of the pencils in front of you if you need to. Get out your tablet, just open a note. Go ahead and do it that way if you'd like. All right? I want you just to prayerfully ask God to show you three people near you that you could share your faith with that you could make the introduction, introduce them to Jesus and Jesus to them. And, and maybe they're in your family, maybe they're in your neighborhood, maybe they're at work, maybe they're where you go get your coffee, where you eat dinner, the restaurant you hang out at, maybe they're at the gym, the Y. Maybe they're some, at your school, a classmate. Can you just prayerfully say, God, who, who can I share you with? Who can I introduce to you? Who, who could I do that to? And just, just write those names down. I'm calling them your big three. How about that? And just go ahead and, and do that. Take a moment. I wrote mine down the last hour. Can you ask God to help you Share Jesus with them between now and the end of the year. Make this a big push during the last quarter of this year. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask and look for an opportunity to share Christ with them. And, and between now and Christmas, now and New Year's, I'm going to try to do that. I'm, I'm going to pray between now and then and I'm going to look for that opportunity to share Jesus with them and make that introduction you do that? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us the privilege of being in your presence today. I thank you for these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ, our guests and friends and regular attenders who've hung, come here today. Lord, I thank you that in all of this, you have, have shown us again today just how you're on the move and you give us the privilege of being filled with your spirit and allowing your spirit to empower us. Give us your priorities and your promise and your plan to make Christ known. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid 
Because when Jesus is king, and he is, when we partner with him, we don't have to be afraid. So help us, Lord. We pray for these, these big three. Um, I want to pray for my three. I want to pray for, for, for my neighbor Gary, and I want to pray for my neighbor Jesse. And I, I want to pray for my, my friend that I see at the coffee shop, Mike. And I'm, I'm asking for these three men that, Lord, you'd open their hearts and open their eyes to see how beautiful and glorious you are. I pray that they would recognize their need because they're three guys that are self-sufficient. But I pray that they would come to the place where they would recognize you. And I pray for your boldness and your courage to speak up and share Jesus with them. And I pray for their salvation. I pray for the salvation of all the folks that have been written down, all the people that are being prayed for right now, the people we love, that you love, that you care about. I'm asking for their salvation. And I'm asking you to help us rely on your spirit to share Jesus with them. And I pray this in his blessed name. Even so, come, King Jesus. We're looking forward to you being here. But today, help us walk in the power of your blessed Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.